for joining us today at Launch Point Church in Lebanon, Tennessee. We believe the Bible is the written word of God without error and useful for every part of our lives. We believe that through learning and teaching of the word, others might come to know God, find freedom, discover their purpose, and make a difference. Thanks again.
I want to talk. We've been talking, started talking last week about um, our commission. That we have been commissioned. And by that, I mean we have been commissioned by the Word of God, the declaration of Christ Jesus, to be a community inside the church on mission, to be equipped to be a community outside the church to be on mission. That if we do anything here that just exists here and never leaves this building, that we might as not might as well not show up here. Because God has called us together in unity and in fellowship for a singular purpose. So that Jesus may be glorified. Not just in our own lives, but in the lives of the people that we come into contact with. Amen? Yep. And so with that in mind, we talked last week, and I'm going to recap this piece of it, probably every sermon during this series. We talked about we have one responsibility as a commissioned people. We can't grow the body of Christ. There's not, we can't save anyone. We can't ensure anyone is baptized. We, we can't do anything of any eternal significance. All of that's God's work. The only thing that we can do, the only thing we've been commissioned to do is what? Let's see if anybody remembers. Make disciples. That's our job. Our job is to be faithful to make disciples. And I proved this to you last week in Scripture in Matthew chapter 28, where you'd expect me to go. 18, 19, and 20, it says this, And Jesus came up, that is, he came up to his disciples, and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. What he's saying is, listen, I have all, all authority. And the inference is that he is delegating that authority to us as he's being raised up into heaven. He said, because of the delegated authority that you have, essentially, go therefore and make disciples and of, of all of the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And so I told you, and I, and I will continue to tell you, that our primary responsibility is to be faithful to make disciples. Everything that the church does, everything the church puts its hand to, is for a singular purpose, to make disciples. I, I repeat myself from last week because I want us to all be speaking the same language. If somebody asks, hey, what do y'all do over Launch Point Church? I want you to tell them, we make disciples. We make disciples according to this by making them and marking them through water baptism, maturing them by teaching all that they've been taught, all that we've been taught, and we will multiply them for as long as it takes till Jesus ultimately comes back at the end of the age. So we make disciples by making them, marking them, maturing them, and then ultimately multiplying them. Amen? That's our responsibility. Why do I tell you that? Why do I tell you that again? I tell you that again because everything done in this space, 
is designed to equip and bring you into a unity of faith so that you might be able to leave this space and go into your individual circles of influence and create the only change that's going to matter. And that is declaring the name of Jesus that others might be saved through your declaration. Amen. Amen. And I can't, I don't know how else to put it. And honestly, if we could, if I, if I could just get us to do that, I'd be done today. But we struggle. And so we need to continue this conversation. And we're going to continue this conversation to make disciples we have been commissioned to make. We have to be a people who are commissioned to care about other people. And so that's the title of my lesson today. If you've taken notes, it's Commissioned to Care. We have been called to care about people. Last week, we talked about how we put ourselves in a situation, how we act to make disciples. We act as the salt and the light. We preserve from further decay, which is what salt does. And we reflect the light of Jesus into an otherwise dark world, which is what light does. This week, I want to move out of the how, and for the next three weeks, I'm going to talk, or out of the who, and I'm going to talk to you about the how we have been commissioned to act. We know who we are. We're salt and light. How does salt and light react in the world? And today, that is by caring about that world. We have to truly care about that world, and I don't mean just flippantly, oh yeah, they're cool. I like them. They'll be fine. I mean, truly care about them. By definition, to feel concern or interest, attach importance to something. We should attach importance to people. Do you know why? Because Jesus Christ died because he attached importance to people. The purpose, the cause of our something the thing that we attach ourselves to is the fact that lost souls exist in the world. And it's our responsibility to ensure that within our ability, within our circles of influence, those lost souls hear the gospel message. But we can't do that a lot of times by simple street evangelism. It's going to be very difficult under most circumstances for you to go up and just randomly have a conversation on the street and tell somebody about Jesus. You have to have a relationship with them and prove to them that you care about them. I'm not saying that the providential hand of God can't move in one in a street scenario. I've seen it happen. But I will tell you the most number of people that you're going to be able to reach are people you're going to be able to reach because through your caring, you showed that you desired to be in relationship with them. So we have to care because the world is at a crossroads. And here we sit at this crossroads and they've torn down all the street signs. And so we have no idea which where we're headed, where we're supposed to go, which direction. <clears throat> Excuse me, which direction we're supposed to take. That is, the world doesn't. We do. You know what our job is? To give them that direction. And we give them that direction by telling them the truth. 
even when it hurts their feelings, even when it's offensive to them. Can I tell you that telling people the truth is offensive to them? I had a buddy of mine tell me a long time ago, the truth will set you free, but it'll make you mad first. And that's exactly right. But it doesn't mean we are released from the responsibility of telling them the truth because it might hurt their feelings. The Bible is very clear to say that the wounds of a friend can be trusted. It's an enemy that multiplies his kisses, which means a man that won't tell you the truth and let you wander around in your wickedness doesn't love you because he doesn't know how to love you. The only way I can truly love you is to challenge you with the truth, bring you to an understanding of that truth, and cause you to have to make a decision about that truth that you now know. Amen? But I can't do that in any way that's going to bear a lot of fruit if I don't first care about you. And why should I care about you? Let me, let me tell you why. In Revelation 21.8, it reads this. But for the cowardly and unbelieving and abominable and murderers and sexually immoral and sorcerers and idolaters. Man, those are big sins, right? And all liars. Those are the things we allow ourselves to get by with, right? Their part will be, everybody say will be, in the lake that burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. And let me tell you, that second death, there is no resurrection from that second death is forever. That fire and brimstone, lake of fire, is for all of eternity. And I don't know about you guys. I hope I know well enough. But I, I, can't, I can't say for certain about all of you that you, I, well, let me rephrase it. I need to know about all of you that you care about other people enough that you wouldn't want them to spend eternity in hell. Because the word says will be in that lake. Not might be, not will be for a little while. It says will be. That's declarative. Our job is to ensure that that population is as small as possible. But let me, let me frame that up for you a little bit. Just a very little bit. 30,000 people a day die and go to hell having never heard the gospel in India. That's just in India. That's one, one country. 30,000 people. We've got work to do. And that work starts with caring about them enough to tell them the gospel message. Amen? So, what does caring look like? I think if, if we're going to talk about how to care in a way that's going to bring eternal, make an eternal difference, we should look at the life of Jesus because he did it better than we've done it. And so if you'll turn to Matthew chapter 9, verse 35 through 38, I'm going to teach out of that section of Scripture today. It reads like this. Jesus was going through all the cities and villages. How many of the cities and villages? 
all of them, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every kind of disease and every kind of sickness. What kind of disease? What kind of sickness? Seeing the people, he felt compassion for them because they were distressed and dispirited like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Therefore, beseech the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest. Not your harvest, his harvest. Amen. So I want to talk to you out of these verses about what our caring should look like. First, we should care enough to get inside of our community. Man, I love this text. It says this. Jesus was going through all the cities and the villages. You know the difference between a city and a village? A village is usually a small collection of houses and small businesses sparsely populating the landscape. A city, usually much bigger, surrounded by a protective wall. When there was times of trouble, the villages would run into the city because that's where the protection was. It doesn't matter whether it's a small community or a large community. It doesn't matter if it's a poor community or a rich community. It doesn't matter if it's a particular national community or this kind of community. Jesus went into every, all. I don't think that's hyperbolic. I don't think, I don't think they're, they're using big verbiage for no reason. I think he literally went to all cities and villages in the area that he could reach because he needed to be amongst the people. We have to learn to get amongst the people. We have to be in the middle where Jesus was in the middle. Jesus led from the middle. And I know immediately as you're writing notes, you're all, Jesus led from the middle. Oh, that ain't right. <coughs> Leaders lead from the front. Right? That's what you've always heard, right? Leaders lead from the front. Jesus led from the middle. Jesus loved from the middle. He was in the middle of people. He was in the middle of people when he encountered the woman with the issue of blood. And he healed her. He was in the middle when he healed the widow's son, touched the casket, and raised him from the dead. He was constantly in the middle of people. He was on the middle cross. And now, even now, stands in the middle ground between us and God making intercession on our behalf. Jesus is a Jesus of the middle. And we should be a, G, a people in the middle. We should be in the middle of our community. How are we going to know what sheep look like if we don't smell like sheep? How are we going to know how to tend to them if we don't know what they eat? How are we going to know how to take care of them if we don't know what they need? And how are we going to know any of those things if we're not surrounded by them? You're all, Pastor, you're asking me to do something hard. Yes. I've never asked you to do anything easy. Do you know why? Anybody care to take a guess at it? Because the Bible's never asked you to do anything easy. 
The Bible always asks you to strip yourself of something, to have the Holy Spirit cut something out of you, to persecute your own flesh, to subject yourself to persecution, even death upon a cross if that's what it takes, because this is what we've been called to, and our ultimate glory is bigger and better than any persecution we might meet. So get in the middle of the people and love them, because they're damned to hell if we don't. Oh, you said damn in church. I said damned to hell. And that's the exact right truth. That's the truth. Whether you want to hear it or not, I think sometimes we fluff up the language because we don't want our ears offended. But it's time, it maybe just maybe if we got offended enough, we do something. Amen? All right. Somebody go write me an email. Everybody in here is all, yeah, that's right. But let me tell you, he didn't go out in the middle of them for no reason. He had two things, according to this, that he was in the middle of them doing. It says, Jesus went through all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. So teaching and proclaiming the gospel. And healing every kind of disease and every kind of sickness. Let's talk about first things first. Jesus prioritized preaching and proclaiming the gospel, which is what we should be prioritizing. We should be prioritizing the gospel. Let me get that water, baby. When Jesus started his ministry, let me read you something. When Jesus started his ministry, thank you. Excuse me real quick. Got a little itch in my throat. When Jesus started his ministry, he walked into the local synagogue, and this is what he said. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set free those who were oppressed, to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. And then he closed the book, that is the scroll, it would have been a scroll, gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all of the synagogue were fixed on him. You think? And he began to say to them, today, this scripture, this scripture that was written by Isaiah, speaking of the Messiah, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. You know what he's telling them? He's telling them, I'm the one you're looking for. Are you oppressed? Listen to me. Follow me. Give your life to me. You will not be oppressed anymore. Are you captive? Listen to me. Follow me. Accept me. And you'll be free forevermore. I am the one you've been looking for. He prioritized the gospel. When he came out of the desert in his time of temptation, he didn't say, Whew, that was that was tough, man. I'm glad I don't have it. Glad I'm done with that. What did he say? The Bible says in Matthew 4 17, from that time, this is immediately coming out of the desert, from that time, Jesus began to preach and say, repent. For the kingdom of heaven is at hand. You know who the kingdom of heaven is? Jesus. 
Repent because the anointed is come. Be repent because the one who is free here to free you from oppression has come. Repent because your Messiah has come. If Jesus can prioritize the gospel, then we should be able to prioritize the gospel too because the Bible says to call yourself a Christian, you should walk as Christ walked. And I know you're thinking, man, you overuse that verse. I don't use that verse enough. If Jesus did it, we should be doing it. If Jesus didn't do it, guess what? We shouldn't be doing it. But he proclaimed the gospel. And so should every believer proclaim the gospel. It's the reason why Paul said, I've got one message for you. Christ and him crucified because he understood that the gospel, according to Romans 1.16, is the power of God unto salvation. Period. Actually, it's not period. It says first to the Jew and then the Greek. But it's the power of God unto salvation, the gospel message is. It's not me. It's not my ability to articulate. It's not my motivational ability. It's not my intellect. It's not my, it's not my anything. I am a vessel used to hold the gospel to whoever is willing to, get, to take and drink. And that's how I should live my life and pour it out so that others may know Jesus. Amen. Now, what does that look like? I can say proclaim the gospel, but let me tell you, I've said this since probably the first Sunday we were here. The gospel is the easiest thing on earth to tell. People don't tell it because they're afraid they're going to mess it up. That's the number one reason I hear about How come you don't tell people about Jesus? Well, I'm afraid I'm going to mess it up. You can't mess it up, man. If nothing else, just tell them who you were and who you are now. And the only thing between who you were then and who you are now is an encounter with Jesus. But if you want to know what the actual gospel is, I could sum it up to you in three verses. And you've heard these a hundred times if you've come to church here any amount of time. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Do you know why you needed a Jesus, a Savior in the first place? Because we deserve judgment. Because we walked in divine rebe or rebellion to a divine God. And because we walked in rebellion, we deserve death and destruction. But God didn't want death and destruction for us. So according to John 3.16, he sent his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. So we have a problem. Our problem is a sin problem, a problem that we deserve to be judged for. But God, to resolve that problem for us, sent us Jesus so that we might have Jesus and through him eternal life, if you'll read the next verse, so that we won't be judged because we're judged already man those are promises those are beautiful but you know what if that's just that's just information if I know I got a sin problem if I know Jesus was sent but I don't know how to grab a hold of Jesus what good does it do me well I got a verse for that too Romans 10 9 believe in your heart or sorry proclaim out of your mouth Jesus Christ is Lord now, that means Lord. That doesn't mean Savior, because you can't have a Savior if you don't have a Lord. Amen? 
which means you are no longer subject to your own opinion. You are no longer subject to your own desires. You're subject to whatever the Lord tells you to do and be who the Lord tells you to be. So I declare out of my mouth, Jesus Christ is Lord, believing in my heart that God raised him from the dead, which means it can't just be some flippant, yeah, Jesus Christ is Lord to be saved. You have to truly believe that. And in believing that, come to a place where you realize that you're not going to see death either. Amen? That's the gospel. Romans 3.23, I had a problem. Romans, or John 3.16, Jesus is the solution to that problem. And Romans 10.9, how to acquire the solution to that problem. It's really difficult to mess that up. Write it down. Memorize those verses because it doesn't matter what you say. If you don't tell them the gospel, they can't be saved because the Spirit uses the presentation of the gospel to save people. And if you care enough about them, you'll tell them the only truth that'll set them free. Truly set them free. Anybody in here got somebody they know that doesn't know Jesus? Now, let me ask a better question. Does anybody in here know somebody that they don't like that doesn't know Jesus? Do you dislike them enough that you'd have them spend eternity in hell? Then even that person deserves to hear the gospel coming out of your mouth. Amen? We have to care first about what Jesus cared about. And what Jesus cared about first was the gospel. Secondly, he went about healing sickness and disease, all sickness and disease. I told you at the beginning of this thing that God gave us, Jesus gave us delegated authority. I am convinced that what the first century church had, which according to the book of Acts, was the ability by faith in the name of Jesus to pray for healing and healing be received. I believe that. Because I can't find anywhere in Scripture where it says, until 1837, at which time this will no longer be in existence or anything like that. Amen? It says, if you have faith in the name of Jesus, healing and disease can be cured. Now, this is automatically going to create attention in us. And it should. If we're going to be... If we're going to have any integrity at all, we have to address the tension that exists in us regarding this because we've all prayed for somebody and they didn't receive the healing that we thought they should receive, that we prayed for. They died. Worst case scenario, they died. Can I tell you? They were healed. It's not something I understand, but it's not my place to understand God's will. It's my place to walk in God's will and it's God's will that I pray maybe even if their healing is eternal somebody else sees me in my faith praying and it builds faith in them and maybe their person sees healing I don't know why I just know that God is faithful I've seen too many people come to this altar or another altar or just times of prayer and say stuff like man I've got cancer I prayed with a guy 
maybe six months ago. Was six six weeks away, I think six weeks away. From his doctor said, "You got about six weeks left, and you're going to die of colon cancer." And so he called his friends to come pray with him. I'm friends with them, so they called me and asked me to go. So I drove out there. We all prayed over him. He went back to the doctor a couple weeks later, and the doctor told him, he goes, I don't know what happened to all that cancer, man, and we must have been reading these tests wrong. He goes, you ain't read those tests wrong, man. That's the miracle hand of God working in his life. And that man is not only still alive, he's as healthy as he's ever been. Right now, I talked to him the other day. He texted me and said, man, thank you so much for praying for me. And my only response was, God deserves that glory. I was just glad to be there. But that happens too much. We should still, well, I didn't get what I asked for. I don't, I can't, I can't give you an honest, integrity-bound answer for why you didn't get what you asked for, except to say that I know that God works all things for good to those who love him and are called according to his purpose. And if it means that we won't see the line drawn between us and the resolution of that until we're in eternity, then I'm sure we'll see that line drawn then. Amen? All right. So we got to care about what Jesus cared about while being in the middle of them. We have to care enough to have compassion. Verse 36 says this. Let me get back to it. Seeing the people, he felt compassion for them because they were distressed and dispirited like sheep without a shepherd. Let me back up to these first three words, seeing the people. We've lost the artists of seeing people. Jesus noticed people. Wherever he was, he saw them. One of the prayers that I pray over this church, both in the church and when I'm at home, pretty consistently, I started like this. God, give us eyes to see them. Give us a heart that is moved by them. Give us hands that are willing to work for them and feet that are willing to walk to them. Do you know why I pray that prayer? Because I know first we have to have eyes to see them. We can't meet the need they have or even recognize they have a need if we can't see them. I go to Walmart, which honestly it's it's my place because it's, if you ever want to look for an oppressed people, go to Walmart. Hey, I'm not trying to be ugly. There's just, there's some sad people in there. And so about twice a month, I'll go there once every two weeks or so. And I'll just walk up and down the aisle looking for people, seeing people. And you might think this is foolish. But I walk around and a lot of people, they walk confidently. Like they, they know what they're in the Walmart for. They're, 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 they're like my wife when she's shopping. She's going to go in there. She's going to get some. She's going to get out as quick as possible. Right? And then you got people that are just walking around trying to find, look, maybe there might be something they want, but they're still all right. But every now and then, you see somebody like this. And you can just tell the burden of life is on them. 
that their life is a struggle, that they're going through something. We need to start seeing those people. We need to stop them and say, how you doing? And really caring about the answer. My papa used to sit at a restaurant. Whenever we'd go out to eat, it was his standard response. The waitress would come up and say, how are y'all doing? And my papa would say, terrible. And because they weren't looking for an answer, they were just trying to fill the gap in the space conversation they had to have. They said, that's all right. Well, that's good. What can I get you a drink? <laughs> we laugh, but we do the same thing. We ask the question without waiting for a true response. Let me tell you, if we would stop and say, you know what? Are you sure you're okay? Because you're carrying yourself as though maybe you're carrying something just a little too heavy for you. Are you, are you really okay? And I'll tell you, eight times out of ten, those people will tell me, I'm not okay. And just about everyone that's willing to tell me they're not okay ultimately ends up being so not okay, they cry during our conversation. And every person that's ever cried in a conversation has allowed me to pray with them. We got to learn to start seeing people again. We can't meet their need if we don't see them. And then because we see them, we have to have the same compassion that Jesus has for them. Compassion is mercy in action. To say I have compassion, everywhere that it said Jesus has compassion, there's a the word, I, I can't pronounce the word, but it means uh, an emotion that causes a gut-wrenching within you. It causes your guts to turn. You guys ever have such a visceral feeling of emotion that it turns your stomach? This is what Jesus saw when he saw people who were hurting and struggling. So much so that he had to physically do something to help them. And we should too. Fact of the matter is, God had a gut-wrenching, visceral reaction to our condition and did something. He sent us Jesus. Jesus had a gut-wrenching, visceral reaction to our condition and gave his life. Someone before us had a gut-wrenching, visceral reaction to your condition and said something to you. And it's time that we do the same. We have to have compassion. It's not enough to just care and go, oh, I care about that. Like it would be some passing thing. But we need to care enough to put our hand to it. And that it is the gospel. And loving people, truly loving people. That's how we make disciples. Amen? And then finally he says this. The, the disciples have kind of up to this point, everything I've talked to you about is just Jesus being Jesus. He's walking around and the disciples are watching. You know, they had to been amazed by the stuff he was doing. Healing diseases, healing infirmities, healing sicknesses. 
uh, just proclaiming the gospel boldly. It didn't matter who, who was around it. This stuff would blow my mind. So up to this point, they've just been watching him do what he does. But Jesus says, you know what? They've watched long enough. And he turns and has a conversation with them. And he says, since you've been watching me do this, let me explain to you why I'm doing this. He says, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Therefore, beseech the Lord of the harvest to send our workers into his harvest. So you want to know why I do what I do? You want to know why I'm raising you up as disciples? You know why I'm going to expect you to raise up disciples? You know why I'm going to expect your disciples to raise up disciples? Because the harvest is too big for each of you to do it by yourself. Or even you 12 to do it or 11 to do it cumulatively. We need more workers. He said, so beseech God for more workers. That doesn't just mean ask. The word beseech here has a very specific meaning. Let me read the definition to you. The definition for beseech is to call out to someone urgently and fervently to do something, to beg of them. So he said, you need to call out urgently and fervently for God to send harvesters into this field. Because this field is ready to be harvested. When I was a young man, 15, 16 years old, I lived in Watertown, where my papa raised me. And there was a co-op in Watertown at the time. It was just like an old feeding seed, you know. Uh, more feed and seed, but they called it the co-op. And they had a a concrete dock that was about this high. And me and a couple of my buddies would sit out there in the summertime, early in the morning or as early as we could get there. And we'd essentially acted like migrant day workers. We'd wait till a farmer showed up and we'd say, hey, you need any, you need any help today? And if they needed help, they'd hire us and we'd go work for them for the day. Then they'd bring us back to the co-op. We'd have a little money in our pocket. That's called hustling for the younger generation. Um, so I would, we would do that. And I, so I'm sitting there one day and a farmer comes by and it's hay season. I know it's hay season. I see other people starting to bail their hay. It's the reason I'm out there. And I asked this old farmer guy, I said, so are you, are you harvesting hay now? Are you? Bailing hay. And he said, no, not today. He said, I'm cutting today. He said, but in a couple of days, I'll be ready to harvest it. I'll be bailing it. And I'm going to need you to be ready then. Here's the thing. When you cut hay, you have to let it lay on the ground for a couple of days to dry before you can harvest it. He said, so in a couple of days after I cut it, I'm going to need some help. Because if I can't find help then, the hay that's been cut will rot in place. That's why we need to be harvesters. We have a personal responsibility to harvest 
and to pray for harvesters because this harvest is too big for us. And I can't bear the thought of the hay, the harvest, laying to rot. And I can't imagine that you would either. I hope that you couldn't. I hope that you would care enough about people to not let their harvest rot on the ground, his harvest rot on the ground. Amen? I'm going to ask you, I'm going to challenge you to do something for me. I'm going to ask you to care enough to tell people, to live in the middle of them, to love them, to care about them, to proclaim the gospel to them so that they too may be harvesters they call harvesters. If you're willing to take that up, that's a challenge. Like, that's not easy. I'm not asking you to do something easy. I know how difficult this question is. But if you're willing to do that, I want to pray for you. Would you stand up? If you're not willing to do that, that's cool. Stay seated. So you're telling me by standing up that you desire to get your hands dirty in the kingdom of God's work. Amen? Yes, sir. Let me pray. Father God, in Jesus' name, we love you. God, as I look around this room, I see people openly declaring that they're willing to work this harvest field that belongs to you, to be out amongst the people, to be in the middle of them, to love them, to care enough about them, to proclaim the only truth that's going to matter at the end of their life, which is the gospel message. And so, God, I ask that you give them strength, that you give them the words to say, that you give them the opportunity to say it. I ask, Heavenly Father, that you send one person a day into their path. And I know that sounds daunting. Lord, but I know that that's according to your will. And I ask that before they meet that person, that you, by the power of your Holy Spirit, till that soil so when the seed is dropped in their spirit, Lord, it takes root. I ask, Heavenly Father, that you watch over them because there will be persecution. There will be those that disparage them. There will be people that will ostracize them. But you know what, Lord? That's okay because we've been called to a purpose and that purpose is greater than us. And so I ask that you hold them in your righteous right hand, that you empower them and strengthen them by your Holy Spirit to do and be who you've called us to be. I praise you, Heavenly Father, for the commission. Now I ask, Heavenly Father, that you give us a heart to care by giving us eyes to see. We worship you, Lord, and we thank you for it. I ask that you bless their effort. In Jesus' name, amen.